0: My name is Andrea Bumstead and I am a member at Restore Temecula. If you are new, we want to welcome you and thank you for tuning in. We believe the church is not an event, but a family that you belong to. So we would love the opportunity to connect with you. If you want to learn more about our church or if we can help in any way, please visit our website at www.restoretemecula.com and click on contact. We also have a mobile app with resources, including our Sunday messages, information about upcoming events and other ways to connect. You can download our app on the Apple or Android app store. With all of that said, we hope you enjoy the message. So last Thursday was Thanksgiving, right? And uh, I feel I feel like it's important to acknowledge um, just the reality that the holiday season has a lot of challenges that come along with it. And especially Thanksgiving because it's just so rooted around being at the table, you know, being around the table. And uh, maybe this is just for one of you in the room, um, but this morning I felt I feel like God wanted you to feel seen just in the, in the reality of like, there's something about the holiday season that as beautiful as it is, it reminds us of who's kind of not at the table anymore. And that's for somebody in there. I feel like God wants you to know he sees you in, in, in the pain of that and um, that his desire is to be near you. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. Um, but before we jump in, I just wanted to say that because I feel like God wants to m- remind some of us in the room his, his intense desire to be near you, that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And uh, yeah, sometimes the holiday season has a way of reminding us of those things. So all that being said, we're going to jump back into our series going through the Gospel of Matthew this morning. Uh, forgive me, my voice is tired, so I'm going to try my best to give you Uh, as much as I can, but we're going to be going through Matthew for, we've been going through Matthew for a long time now. (laughs) Uh, I don't know, two or three decades at this point, and we're going to continue going through, but our our heartbeat behind this series that we've been in for a really long time is we want to learn as much as we can and explore the concepts around there is a king Alright, there is a there is a the universe was created, and it was created by not just a creator, but a king, and that king came to earth in the person of Jesus, and that king, he's the king of a kingdom. And so we've titled this series The King and His Kingdom, where we want to explore and learn as much as we can about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you've heard that phrase. Right? And, and oftentimes modern people think of it, even modern Christians, they think of the kingdom of heaven as something that you go to after you die. And it's certainly we get to experience the fullness of the kingdom of God after we pass away and we're raised to new life, to be with God, with each other, in his presence forever, the way things are supposed to be. Herrick talked about renewal. It's where all things are completely and fully and utterly renewed and restored to God's original intention. That's coming. But the kingdom of God is not just something that's coming. It's something that has arrived. Theologians talk about this this, this tension of the already but the not yet already, but the not yet. The kingdom of heaven isn't fully realized, but it has arrived in many ways. And when I say the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, those things are synonymous. What I mean by that is the rule and the reign of the king, the rule and the reign of God. It's what, hap- it's what things look like when God gets his way, okay? That's what we've been exploring. You've heard me say, you've heard me give that intro, what, a <laughs> hundred times, but we need to, I don't know if we can hear it enough. You were created to live and thrive within the kingdom of heaven, not just after you die, but right now, both, okay? Partly in the present, fully in the future. And so this morning, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter nine, so you can grab your Bibles, Matthew chapter nine. Before I read the passage, I wanna pray and I wanna invite the spirit of God to teach us. So will you pray with me? Thank you, God, that you are so generous with your presence. And I just confess I'm so often, I treat it so flippantly. I get, uh, I don't know, I, so, so, so many times in my life I recognize like I'm just more impressed was something that I think will bring me pleasure that actually can't even give me a fraction of the pleasure that just being in your presence, it gives me. Because of your love and your mercy and your faithfulness and your grace, your forgiveness, your care. Uh, My request right now, I know that you're with us. And my request is that you'd kind of help minimize distractions in us I feel like there's some healthy conviction in today's message, but there's so much beauty. And so I pray and ask, Holy Spirit, that you you would show us more of Jesus. Help us to see him more clearly. Help me not to say or do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish. Help us. You love to help us. You're the helper. Show us reality. Show us truth. And set us free, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, so Matthew chapter 9. I'm going to read uh, just a few verses this morning. We're just going to cover a few, uh, hence why we've been going through this series for so long. But we're going to start in verse 35 here, okay? Prior to this, Jesus has done a lot of miracles. He's done, like, we just, we just read a bunch of them. We've gone through a bunch of them. He's healed people. He's done spectacular things. He is ministering his socks off, okay? He is, he is going for it in a way that is revealing more and more to people what he's like, what he's about, his character, what he's capable of. And not only is it radically blessing people, but there are some who, who don't like what he's doing at all. Let's read here, verse 35. It says this, Jesus continued going around to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, Preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every, when it says every, it really means like every kind of, but it says healing every, every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. When he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant. Some translations will say plentiful, harvest is plentiful. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Okay, that's our passage. What I wanna do is I wanna touch on a few things here. Now, this passage, there's a lot here, but... It gives us some very real insight into Jesus's ministry. Like, when I say Jesus's ministry, what do I mean by that? It gives us a ton of insight. Okay, my first kind of point here is I want you to see this kind of gives us a bit of Jesus's ministry playbook, if you will, okay? Um, you youth in the room, do you guys, when I was in like high school and um, in college, I played this video game, uh, this football video game called Madden. You guys still rock Madden? Is that like a thing? Or is Madden just like old, old news? Talk to me, please. Still a thing? Somebody under 25, can you respond for a second? Isaac said it's still a thing? Okay, we're good. Okay, so Madden is this like famous NFL football video game that I got like caught up in big time in college. My friends would like fight with each other literally over this, this video game. And if you're familiar with Madden, it's just like probably the best, most realistic NFL football video game. And so much so that they'll like, they'll have playbooks that are corresponding with each of the teams in the NFL. So if they run a certain offense, the plays that you can choose oftentimes correspond with the very precise offensive schemes that these teams will run. And I remember the more I got into Madden, the more I would like, I'll pick my team based on their playbook. And then you could actually back in the day, I don't know if you could still do this, but you could pick, you could kind of make your own playbook. So you could assemble different plays and go like, well, these, this is the playbook that I want to have access to when I'm playing the game that will give me a, basically a list of plays that I can select. And I got to a point where I, just, I found my like handful of plays that were the most, I don't know, the best in my opinion. I had the most success with them. And so what I did, part of my strategy was I would literally just run these handful of plays over and over and over again. So there wasn't a ton of variety, but there was just a handful of these really, really effective plays that would run over and over and over again. Why? Because they worked. If something's broke, don't fix it, right? <clears throat> Friends, Jesus' ministry playbook, it didn't have dozens and dozens and dozens of plays. In fact, in this passage, we see five of them. Can you work with me here? Can you identify what? Can you can identify the five that are just here in this passage? What did Jesus do? Talk to me. I'm going to cough while you talk to me. Taught teaching is one of them. Yeah. What else did he do? He Healing. Yep, that's in there. Preaching. Look back over it. Let me give them to you. They're, they're, they're listed there, okay, right? Look, at, look back at verse 35 and track along with me. Jesus continued what? Going. Okay, so he's going. He's, he's intentionally seeking different villages, different people out. He's not just arbitrarily like, oh, I'm gonna preach and teach. No, he's, he's going. He's intentional, okay? So there's, there's going. The next one there, teaching. The next verb there, Preaching. The next verb there, healing, so that's four. And I said there's five, though. I said there was five. Now listen, all the people, whether they were disciples or not, they could clearly observe Jesus doing those four. That's why they're listed there like that, all right? But there's one more. It, that one more, it's a, bit, it's a little bit difficult to observe. And the reason it's a little difficult to observe is it's because it happens in a place that the Bible refers to as the secret place. Oftentimes, this fifth kind of play that Jesus would run in his ministry playbook, oftentimes it's, it's hidden. It happens in the secret place. So what Jesus does is he purposefully draws special attention to it so his disciples don't miss it. What is it? It happens there at the end, prayer. Okay, so we have going, teaching, preaching, healing, prayer. These are the core plays in Jesus' ministry playbook. You tracking with me? Okay. These are the plays that he would run over and over and over and over and over over again. Now, it's important to acknowledge who benefits from Jesus running these plays. Two, Two kind of people groups benefit from him doing the work of his ministry, right? You have his disciples. Who else do you have? You, you have the not yet disciple. So he, he's not just training and teaching his disciples and he's not just preaching and teaching and healing the not yet disciple. He's, he's running these plays in his ministry playbook for both people groups. You with me? It's important for us to understand this, okay? It's really, really important. Now, the reason it's really important is because There's all sorts of like opinions about what makes a healthy disciple. And furthermore, what makes a healthy church? How do we know? let's, Let's use us as a case study. How do we know if we are functioning in a healthy way? Is it like my opinion? You're in trouble if that's what you're. Is it Herrick's opinion? Is it the staff's opinion? Is it your gospel community leader's opinion? Is it your opinion? How do we know? Because all sorts of opinions about what makes a, a church healthy. Here's, here's one that you've probably heard a bunch, right? The numbers. How many butts are in the seats, okay? Now, is, is, I think we kind of, most people in this room, you'd be like, eh, that's not the best indicator. You can have your butt in the seat and actually not be devoted to Jesus at all. But let's be real. that There's some validity to that. Your, your attendance, your, your, your participation matters if you're going to be a healthy disciple. If we're going to be a healthy church, you can't really have a healthy church if participation is, is lacking. And participation obviously means more than just Sundays, but you know what I'm saying, right? So numbers, it, it's valid, but is that the measure, right? How do we know if we're healthy? Is it, here's another one that oftentimes gets talked about, is the size of the church's budget. How much money is in the bank account? And again, like, we've got no, like, because you can, you can be, you know, you can give to the church financially and to the mission of the kingdom financially and have your heart be really far from the Lord. But there's some validity to that because there's like this reality of like, you can't be a healthy disciple, you can't be a healthy church if you're not practicing sacrificial generosity. Like, if that's missing in your life, like, that's a big indicator of like, an unhealthy characteristic. So there's, it's not everything, but it, there's something there. Another one that gets talked about a lot is, well, how many, and, and not, I mean, not just how many, but like what and how many ministries are operating within the life of that church? So, so what is it? How do we know if a church is healthy? How do we know if, if, if we are healthy? Hear me. Jesus ran the plays of his ministry for both the disciples and the not yet disciples. Healthy churches do the same thing. So I think more than numbers, more than money, more than how many ministries, although those things are valid and they're important, more than all of that, healthy churches do what Jesus did. They they follow their their teacher, their rabbi, their lord, their saviour. And I'll tell you something, if that's what healthy churches do, we can learn from that. I mean, go, we can start to identify, oh, here's something maybe that an unhealthy church or an unhealthy disciple might do. Not to throw stones, not to elevate ourselves, be like, oh, we don't do what they do, therefore we're better. That's not what I'm saying at all. But let me just give you one example. Unhealthy churches tend to focus on more, more on one people group than the other. And I'm here to tell you, like, that's a dangerous place to be. And the reason it's dangerous is because Jesus didn't. And if Jesus is our, if he's our leader, if he's our, if he's our Lord, if, he's our, if, if we're following him, but yet we're not modeling our lives after him, there's a breakdown there. Like, I literally heard a celebrity megachurch pastor say this one time. And I've heard, not one time. I've heard him say it multiple times but he's literally said to his congregation in the middle of a preach, he goes, this church does not exist for you. It exists for your non-Christian friends. Listen, the sentiment I can really appreciate. Like we gotta tell people about Jesus, right? Like we gotta evangelize 100%. But to go as far as to say like the church doesn't exist for you is really bold. That's a great strategy if you want to make converts. It's a really poor strategy if you want to make disciples. But it's not just that end of the spectrum that is is unhealthy. The other end of the spectrum is just as unhealthy where the church becomes this insulated thing where it's just about us. That the ministry, it's just about what benefits us in this room. And we can be so inward focused. Jesus was neither. He was both. He was both. He wasn't one or the other, he was both. And I think that more than anything, any statistic that I can think of for a measurement of a healthy church is that we are not choosing one people group over the other in terms of what the playbook of ministry being run. It's both. Because it was for Jesus. It was for Jesus. And now listen. Listen. When I talk about the church, I don't want you to think organizationally. We love to do that here in, especially in America and the West, like in the modern church. We love to think of the church as this organization that's kind of like this thing. No, when I say church, don't think organizationally. We are the church. We, the people of God, the children of God, we are the church. Okay, you are the church. So as the church, is the focus of your ministry more on disciples or is the focus of your ministry more on the not yet disciples? We gotta understand this. It's crucial if we're gonna be healthy. Jesus ran the plays of his ministry for the disciples and the not yet disciples. Healthy churches, healthy disciples do the same thing. You with me? We can't, we gotta get that before we move forward, okay? Now, these plays in Jesus' playbook, there wasn't a billion of them. There was a handful of them, okay? It's important that we understand these five plays if we're gonna run them too, as his disciples. The first one we talked about, going, all right? This is fairly simple, but I think we miss this often. Going is that intentional pursuit. It's not arbitrary, it's not random, it's intentional. I'm going to Jerry. I'm going to Raylene. I'm going to my neighbor, Chris. I'm going to these specific people, intentionally pursuit, right? Now listen, that could be across the world or that could be across the street, but every single Christian disciple, stay with me, stay with me, every single Christian disciple is called to going. It's one of Jesus' main plays in his playbook, all right? Now the, the next thing, teaching. You guys, do you know the difference between teaching and preaching? Because that's crucial. There's two different things there. Teaching is different than preaching, okay? Although they can oftentimes be connected. Good teaching, you ever had a really good teacher? I've had a handful in my life. A good teacher, oh my gosh, what a gift. I know many, there's, I, there's many teachers in the room vocationally. God bless you guys seriously like the opportunity but yet the responsibility and the burden that you carry because of the implications oh you guys are amazing but if you've ever had a good teacher you know good teaching is two way right it's it's dialogue right preaching's different than teaching preaching teaching is two way it's dialogue preaching is monologue they're both really important preaching is monologue it's it's one way Okay, it what, what preaching does is it it exhorts and it invites the listener into something. When I say exhort, what I mean by exhort is to exhort is to urge you to do something. So I want you to see the difference between teaching and preaching. When I when I um, a handful of times through a preach, I will I will drift into teaching. I'll be like, hey. Do you see what's in this passage? Talk to me. Like, I'm trying to engage you because I, I, wanted, I want to take advantage of a teaching moment because good teaching is two-way. It's presenting you with information. It almost, sometimes even, especially in a classroom environment, inviting you to ask questions that I can follow up with, with answers. And there's this ongoing dialogue that, that ultimately leads to greater knowledge. You with me? I want you to see the difference here. Preaching is one way. They're both valuable. They're both incredibly valuable, so much so that Jesus would run them as plays. All right? The difference between teaching and preaching. And then healing. Again, kind of fairly simple. We've talked about this a lot in this series, healing, right? It's to, to be healed is to be delivered from brokenness. Things are not the way they're supposed to be in many ways. And when a person is delivered from that, oftentimes, at least in the scriptures, it's miraculous. It's miraculous when they're delivered from that brokenness, that's healing. So healing can be physical, sight to the blind, right? The deaf hear, the lame walk. Many of you have been miraculously healed in this community. You you know what I'm talking about. Physical healing, it's not just physical, it's emotional. Emotional healing, spiritual healing. Many of you have experienced an element or to a certain degree, spiritual healing and relational healing right? Healing, it's always an act of renewal, to be delivered from brokenness. And then the fifth one, prayer. Probably the most misunderstood of all of the five plays. I don't have too much time to get into this, but you hear me talk about this all the time. Prayer is so much more than talking to God. It involves that. It's so much more than a conversation, although it definitely involves that. Prayer is engaging with God. So no matter what you do, being engaged with him in it. It's, it's a lifestyle of being with him at all times, remaining with him. The, the, uh, John 15, abiding in him, right? Staying with him. That's prayer. It's a lifestyle. So these are the core plays in Jesus's ministry playbook. These are the plays. He just kept running over and over and over again. Why? The passage tells us why Jesus kept running these plays. And my next point is just this. It's because Jesus has compassion. All these plays fueled by Jesus' compassion. Listen to me. If you understand this one, it will utterly transform your life. Jesus has compassion. There's a handful of resources. I use, this, I use Bible software to do a lot of my like, research and study. There's a handful of resources that are just kind of foundational to just get a brief kind of overview on a different topic or theme or passage or whatever. But there's one that I go to. I find myself, I find myself just referring to often. It's, it's called the, the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. It's just a winner if you want to have one, but... It defines compassion biblically this way. It says, quote, I think I have a quote for this for you guys. If I don't, forgive me. Maybe I put, actually, it's not William Barclay. That's my fault. That's not Marshall. This is actually the Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible. It says this, compassion is the quality of showing kindness or favor, of being gracious, or of having pity, (coughs) excuse me, or mercy. In scriptural usage, compassion, listen to this, is always both a feeling and the appropriate action based on that feeling. You catch that. So compassion involves both a feeling, a deep, like an actual feeling, you feel it inside, and the appropriate action. It's both of those things, okay? The great theologians from the rock band Journey said it best. It's more than a feeling. So oftentimes, listen, your emotions are a gift from the Lord, but so oftentimes we'll live as though that's the only reality. And we'll, hear me, compassion, it's definitely feeling. But it's more than a feeling, it's action as well. It's not compassion unless there's action. That rhymes, that'll preach. It's not compassion unless it's action. Look at 1 John chapter three, verse 17 through 19. This is gonna be the New Living Translation. Listen to this. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no what? It doesn't say feel, and feel, no, it shows no compassion, right, because it's more than just a feeling, it, but shows no compassion. How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our what? Talk to me. Actions, yes, Verse 19, our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before God. You catch what he's saying. Compassion, it's more than a feeling. It's not compassion unless you take action. Listen to me. That's why there's nobody like Jesus. That's why there's nobody like Jesus. Look Look who it is that he has compassion for in this passage. Look at verse 36 in Matthew 9. When Jesus saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Do you know what those two words mean? I thought I did. I know know what distress is. I know what it means to be dejected. This is where Greek study is so helpful. It was originally written in Greek. Their language is so much more deep and beautiful and meaningful than the English language. But nonetheless, let me try to break it down for you. Distress, in the original Greek, here's what it means. It means to be troubled, to be bothered, to have discomfort. So essentially what it means is to experience pain and suffering. Um, quick poll. Raise your hand in the room if you've ever experienced pain or suffering. About 90% of us. So 10% of us have just, just lived our best life. That's incredible. <clears throat> okay. Distressed. Essentially to experience pain and suffering. All right. Distress is a byproduct of what? It's a byproduct of sin. Remember, things aren't the way they're supposed to be. God created them to be the way they are supposed to be, perfect, whole, peace, joy. Sin enters the equation and just jacks everything up. The reason for brokenness is sin. Pain and suffering is a result of sin. Distress is a byproduct of sin. Either my sin or somebody else's sin, right? Sin's the reason for the pain, for the suffering, for the brokenness. That's distress. But he also uses the word dejected. Dejected in the Greek... It's a literal meaning in the Greek, that word. It literally means to be thrown away. Like you'd throw something away in the garbage. Dejection is like a state of mind. And dejection, it's very much associated with sadness. Sadness. Have you ever felt thrown away? Maybe somebody in your life close to you just threw you away. If you study the New Testament, all you see something remarkable about Jesus. Jesus was notoriously drawn to like the frankly, like the outlaws of society. I mean, he, the broken ones, right? The, the weird ones, the, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners, the, the, the ones who blow it time and time again and suffer because of it. The, the hurting, the, the lonely, the vulnerable, the ones who feel like they've been thrown away. So here's the big idea. Jesus has compassion for these kinds of people. Do you realize what this means? That means Jesus has compassion for you. Right where you are. Right in your mess. Right in your pain. Right in your suffering right in your sadness, hear me, right in your sin. Jesus has compassion on you right now, right where you are. And it's more than a feeling. It's action. Look at Romans chapter five. Some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. Romans chapter five, six through eight. For while we were still helpless... Coincidentally enough, we talked about distressed, right? Dejected. Some translations say helpless. For while while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, someone, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves That word proves in the Greek, it means demonstrates. It means revealed through action. But God proves, God demonstrates, God reveals through action, through a verb, his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this. Jesus has compassion for you Right where you are. How do we know? The cross. (laughs) The cross, the the greatest demonstration of compassion in the history of the world. Feeling and action. And maybe you've heard this a hundred times, but I'm going to say it to you anyway. The cross was for you. The cross was for you. Like, this is the gospel. This is the good news, man. When I said this is really important, it'll transform your life. Because if you receive the gospel, it has the power to literally transform your life, your thoughts, your actions, your deeds, all of it. If you receive it. I gotta ask, like, have you received the gospel? I'm not asking if you know about it. I'm not asking you if you've heard it. I'm not asking if you think it's great. I'm not asking if you acknowledge that it's true. I'm asking, have you received it? You ever done any gardening? Even like at the most basic level? You ever like planted a seed in a pot? The gospel's like a seed. If it's received into the soil, like actually received, if it's received into that soil, over time it begins to grow and grow and grow. And the next thing you know, you have this plant that's producing fruit Have you received the compassion of Jesus for you, right where you are, in your mess, in your imperfection, in your struggle, in your distress, in your dejection? Have you received the compassion of Jesus? Have you received the gospel? Some of you in this room, like you haven't. But you can it's his invitation. It's literally the plays that you would run over and, over and over and over and over and over again, so that you would receive it and experience abundant life, not suffering less suffering less life, like not a life void of suffering, but like real, true, eternal, abundant life. Some of you haven't yet received it. Some of you, it's been a while. Some of you, you have, but dude, it's been a minute. It's been an hour. It's been a week. It's been a month. It's been a year. It's been a decade. It's been a while since you received it. Jesus has compassion for you. I'm going to say it again. Jesus has compassion for you right where you are. He's not waiting for you to clean yourself up. He's not waiting for you to not be distressed. He's not waiting for you to not be dejected. His compassion for you is primarily because you are those things. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he kind? Isn't he patient? Isn't he faithful? Isn't he good? There's nobody like Jesus. My next point, I'm getting close, guys. My next point, not only does Jesus have compassion for you, Jesus has compassion for others. Look back at verse 37. Then Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest, okay? I want you to see the flow of this passage, right? It starts off Jesus, he's demonstrating the work of ministry, right? He's running the plays in his playbook, right? Here's what it looks like, guys. Right? He, in other words, he models what it means to be a worker. And then he says, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. He's saying basically this, there are so many people ready to receive the seed of the gospel, right? And to enter into the kingdom of God in all of their fullness, to thrive, to be who God created them to be. but where are the workers? The workers are few. As I was praying through this passage, I really feel like there's something in that word worker for us. There's something there. Um, question, not rhetorical, question, honest question. Why do you think the vast majority of people go to work? The dollar. Can we agree? The paycheck. I, let's just say this. Most of us who have ever had a job, we've had jobs where the only reason we're going is for the paycheck. Hear me, that's not a bad thing. I'm not here to throw shade on that. But let's let just, can we agree that that's what most people, the vast majority of people, the reason they go to work is for the paycheck? Can I, yes? I need you to be with me right now. I need to understand. Okay, cool. Yes. All right, hear me, everybody works for a harvest, all right? Most people work for the harvest that is their paycheck, but that's not why everybody works. Some people, they, they work for the harvest of that feeling of satisfaction of, I, I did a good job. Cool, that's great. Some people work for the harvest of, like, I want validation from other people. I'm not really passionate about this, but I make a lot of money, which... Gives me the validation of other people, the approval, whatever it is, right? Validation, the approval of other people. Everybody works for a harvest. There's not a human being on the planet who doesn't work for the purpose of reaping a harvest, okay? But for most people, that harvest that they're working for is the cash. It's the dollar. It's the paycheck. Not a bad thing, all right? So I want to play a game with you really quickly. Just just let's imagine. Turn on your imaginary pretendo thing in your brain, okay? Okay? Here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that our church, somebody gifted us a ton of money. Like more money than, than that could be spent in a hundred lifetimes, okay? Like you don't even have to check it ever. There's more zeros than your bank account will even show you. We have unlimited funds, okay? And what if we did this? What if we were like, hey, this is, this, is, this is totally optional, but for anybody and everybody who would like to participate, regardless of your age, you could, be, you could be 13 years old, you could be 99 years old, it doesn't matter. You can participate in this. But here's what we're gonna do. For every single person that, whoever wants to participate, for every single person that you would lead to Jesus we'd write you a check for a million dollars. I know a million dollars isn't what it used to be. Okay? But just hear me out. Really get it, like, imagine this for a second. Like, imagine if it was true. Play the game with me. If I Mike, if I wrote you a check for a million dollars for every single person that you led to Jesus, Justin, Brittany, Mark, Branded, like every like anybody who wants to participate, we have all this money. What are we going to do with it? Every person that you lead to Jesus, you get a you get a check for a million dollars. What do you think would happen? Be a lot of people there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, but hear me. You guys would be you guys would be preaching on the streets. Okay, Amazon would like sell out of bullhorns. There would be this like overwhelming, like everybody's social media f- feed would be overrun and overtaken with the gospel. If you have any questions about Jesus, call this up, call me, call me, call me. It's, like it's like the next level, multi-level marketing thing. All of your friends would be like, what are you trying to sell me? Everybody, you guys would be knocking on people's doors every neighbor that lives next to you would hear the gospel. Whether they followed or not, they would hear it because you knew. Dude, if I, if I ask a hundred people and only one percent of them say yes, that's a million dollars. It would be wild. You know how, like, there's some really gifted uh, real estate agents in the room, but you know how, like, real estate agents are brilliant at marketing, right? They're, like, signs and, and pamphlets and, like, you guys would be like, all the real estate agents would be like, oh my gosh, those Christians, like how are they doing it? Their, their cards and their signs and their things are everywhere, billboards, everything. It would be like, there would be this intense, amazing preaching of the gospel. I, I don't doubt it for one second. If it was real, I know you're like, yeah, whatever. No, if it was real, it'd go Wild. We talked about like just simple evangelism, I think a couple of few weeks ago. It was like, have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. Just simple. Just trying to have an encounter. I don't know, I don't know if the answer but have you heard about Jesus? I've seen him do that. He can help with that. I've seen him do it, and regardless of what it is. Your friends and neighbors would get so tired of you being like, have you heard about Jesus? He can help with that. Like There would be this overwhelming saturation in our community, on the internet, everywhere. If this was real, You know what would happen? You'd make your first million dollars in like 24 hours. You'd probably become a billionaire. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. Hear me. The reason the workers are few is not because we're lazy. It's not because we aren't willing to work hard. The workers are few because we don't place enough value in the harvest. Listen, I'm down to work for my harvest. Dude, I'm down to work 40, 50, 60, 80 hours a week for my harvest but God's harvest? Did you notice it says, pray to the Lord of the harvest that, wor- that he would send workers into his harvest. I'm down to sacrifice my life. Almost all of the time that I have for my harvest, but God's harvest? Oh, my schedule is just full. It's just full. You know, I got a lot of stuff going on and it's all good stuff. I'm raising my kids You know, I'm trying to trying to be a good person. I'm like, absolutely, all that stuff's valid and important. I felt so convicted by this this week, guys. The workers are few because we don't place enough value in the harvest. But Jesus did. Thank God that Jesus did for us. He valued the harvest more than he valued his own life. Because the harvest is people, isn't it? The harvest is people. The harvest is you. The harvest is me. The harvest is your neighbors and your coworkers and your family and your friends. And The harvest is people. The workers are few because we don't place enough value in the harvest, but there's more to it. There's more to it than that. (laughs) I've had COVID at least four times. Four. Okay? At least four times that I'm aware of due to testing and things, right? Um, The reason I've had COVID that many times is because I don't know if you guys know this, COVID's highly contagious. Sometimes didn't feel much of anything, just kind of like, ah, I feel a little off. Sometimes it sucked. But the reason I had COVID at least four times is because it's highly contagious. So hear me. Um, I would argue that every single person in this room, whether you realize it or not, you've had COVID sometime in the last few years, if you've had COVID, you've spread COVID, (laughs) If you've had COVID, you've spread COVID. Why? Because it's highly contagious. Okay? Do you want to know what's more contagious than COVID? The gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is more contagious than COVID-19. Listen to me. The gospel of the kingdom, if you truly receive it, you will spread it. If you've had COVID, you've spread COVID because it's highly contagious. The gospel of the kingdom, if you truly receive it, you will spread it because it's highly contagious. How do I know that it's highly contagious? Because Jesus promises that the harvest is abundant. Simple question that's been racking my brain all week. I don't say this as someone who's any better than you. I'm worse than all of you. Are you spreading the gospel? Are you spreading the gospel? Are the ministry plays that you're running, are they, are they do they involve other people who've, who, who don't know the love of Jesus at all? Or are they just so insulated that I just kind of, we just kind of like, all of us, it's almost like when you had COVID with your family and y'all just gave it to each other for like a month. It's like, it's just gonna stay here. God, guys, listen to me. If you receive the gospel, you will spread it. Look back at that first John chapter three passage I, I gave it to you guys. We already read this, but look at it. Um, will you go to, just focus just on, on verse 19. All right actions will show that we belong to the truth, or if we don't, so we will be confident when we stand before God. Listen, I ask this in humility. I've been praying about this for myself. I ask this in love, but I'm deadly serious. What do your actions show? I mean, dude, even Jesus says you judge a tree by its fruit. Hear me, if Christ is being formed in you, you will behave more like Christ. If a person receives the gospel, I'm not talking about acknowledging that it's true. I'm not talking about, yeah, that's a good thing. I'm not talking about that. If a person receives it for them, oh my God, Jesus has compassion for me in my distress, in my my suffering, in my sin. If you receive the gospel, it will be shared. Why? Because it's highly contagious. There's human hearts around you. They can't, like, you don't understand. If the harvest is abundant, that means there there are people that if you just put the seed in the ground and go like that, there's gonna be fruit. It's because the harvest's abundant. That means that, they, that God's been cultivating hearts and minds long before you got there. If a person receives the gospel, they will share it because it's contagious. They will go to people with it, right? They will teach it to people. They will preach it to people. They will demonstrate it to people through acts of renewal, like healing, they will adopt Jesus' playbook and there will be a harvest as a result. It's a promise. The harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. How are we doing on time? Okay, I'm gonna be quick. One more point for you, my final point. And this is something that I, I, I don't think most people realize. And my final point is this. God has chosen to rely on you and I God has chosen to rely on you and I but we as people we tend to think that if God wants to do something he just will he can he's all powerful right he doesn't need me um I grew up playing sports um and the two sports that I excelled in the most are basketball and water polo. I loved them I, 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 a lot. When I graduated high school, uh, <laughs> I had the priv- genuinely, I had the privilege and the honor of the high school asked me to coach the water polo team. So I came back and I coached the water polo team for two, three seasons. And guys, I really enjoy coaching there's something about it. There's something about, with love, challenging a player and calling them to, honestly, to realize their capability. And then when they step into it, the breakthrough that takes place, it's just, it's so rewarding. Like, I I really do like it. But here's one of the things about coaching that I learned real fast. I learned real fast that there's a lot of responsibility that comes with coaching. Okay? But the responsibility, hear me, it's way more than winning games. It's so much more than winning games. A good coach, I think we've all experienced bad coaches. If you've either played sports or been around sports, there are some awful coaches. Win-at-all-cost coaches. But hear me, a good coach knows their role is not primarily to win games. Their role is primarily to develop players. That's what good coaches do, okay? Hear me, God is the greatest coach ever. He's the greatest coach ever. In fact, he's he's way more than a coach. He's a father. He's a father. And he is radically committed to the development of his children. So hear me, God, in his infinite, brilliant wisdom, has chosen to rely on his people to continue the work of his ministry. And here's why it's brilliant, because it serves two purposes. Not only does it serve the purpose of the harvest, right? People coming into the kingdom of God, but it develops you in the process. Do you see this? Your participation in the work of the harvest is a continuation of the ministry of Jesus that results in men and women, boys and girls, coming into the kingdom of God. It's like, well, d- d- why? he could do that without me. He could, but he loves you, and he's so radically committed to not only them, but your development in Christ-likeness and holiness that he goes, I choose to rely on you. Your development matters to your father. Do you see that? Do you realize how much dignity you have? You realize how much you matter. Not just to him, but to the people around you. Do you have any idea how valuable you are to this community? Hear me, not just this one. Do you have any idea how much spiritual and eternal value you have to this valley? Isn't he an amazing father? How comprehensive. He can simultaneously free a person from the bondage of sin and suffering and death and all the crap, the brokenness. He can simultaneously reap a harvest of, of redeeming them while developing you by using you as the agent by which to actually accomplish the work. Do you see how comprehensive his fathering is? Whew. Jesus' ministry is still happening, friends. All of it, like the the, the going, the teaching, the the preaching, the healing, the prayer, every single play that Jesus runs in his ministry playbook, it's still happening. It's happening. You know when Jesus said, I'm gonna gonna wrap up fast, I promise. Jesus literally said before before um, before he was crucified, raised, and then ascended to heaven, he told his disciples, he goes, it's better for me to go You guys have heard me talk about this before. That's crazy to me. All I want to do is be with Jesus. I just want to see him. I want to touch him. I want to hug him. I want to talk to him. Like, nothing would give me more joy than seeing Jesus in the flesh. But Jesus goes, it's better for me to go. And the reason it's better for me to go is when I go, I'll send my spirit. Jesus is one man in one place with human limitations. Yes, fully God, but took on the limitations of being fully man. One place. The spirit, his spirit in his people, everywhere. Imagine a planet filled with millions of little Jesuses. It's funny that the word Christian literally it comes from little Jesuses, little Christs, filling the earth, running the playbook, and reaping the harvest, and being developed while the harvest is being reaped. Whenever you experience love, kindness, service, faithfulness, forgiveness, mercy from the people in this room, from the people in your gospel community. You need to realize what's happening in that moment. It's not just because they're nice. They're not good people. They're redeemed people. It's the spirit of the living God manifesting himself through another person on your behalf. It's the playbook being run. Do you see it? And what does it result? It results in a disciple who's drifted away from the truth of the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel. Oh yeah, Jesus has compassion for me. I'm coming back. Do you realize how much dignity do you have? Do you realize the opportunities in front of you, the harvest is abundant in the church and more importantly, outside the church? But the workers are few. Jesus' ministry is still going on. His spirit empowering his people to do his ministry all over the earth. All right, I'm gonna call the band up. Would you guys come forward? If you're on the, if you're on the prayer team this morning, would you, prayer team assemble, would you guys get ready? I can't believe my voice held up. This is fantastic news. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, um, I'm almost done, I'm just gonna set up our response time. We're we're gonna respond to the reality of the love, the grace, the gospel, the good news of who God is and what he invites us into over and over and over and over again. To receive it, to receive it in your distress, to receive it in your dejection, to receive it in your need, to receive it in your sin. Some of you, you are habitually engaging in the same sin over and over and over again and you start to feel shame and guilt about it. You know what Jesus thinks of when he sees you doing it? Compassion. Do you believe that? Some of you you keep you notice I'm like embellishing more than I why am I embellishing so much? Like why am I telling untruths? Some of you you believe that when God sees you in your sin, that He's like angry with you. According to the Bible, he has compassion for you, not just feeling, action, culminating in his very own crucifixion for that sin that you're walking in, because he loves you. So this, this series, we're, we're, and we're finishing chapter 9, going into chapter 10, this is a hinge point in the, in the gospel of Matthew, okay? Right after this, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to send out his disciples to run the very same plays that he runs. These plays. It's a continuation of Jesus' ministry of compassion. People who have received the compassion of God, feeling in action, they've received it, they've received the gospel, they've received forgiveness, they've received His mercy, they've received His faithful love, and it does something to them and it motivates them to go forward. The gospel's not just our message, it's our motivation. So these people, right, his disciples, continuing his ministry of compassion, the work of gathering his harvest. Guys, these plays, is what Jesus does. It's what he did, it's what he's still doing through his people. It's what his disciples do. Do you. Do you? If you don't, just be honest with yourself. Listen to me, the gospel's contagious, man. The gospel of Jesus Christ is contagious. But in order to spread it effectively, you have to receive it. There's some people, there's some folks in the room. You need to receive the gospel this morning. You need to receive it. You need to let them in. Oh God, you need to let them in. Can I just confess to you? This whole week, I'm just like, Jesus, you have compassion for me and my sin. Oh, and my impatience, and my pride. passion for us and when we receive it we cannot help we cannot help but spread it will you stand with me if you're able we're going to spend the next 15 minutes and we're just going to respond each of us as an individual wherever you're at here's what I want to encourage you to do I want to encourage you to receive the compassion of Jesus, to receive it, not to acknowledge it's true, but to receive it and to express thankfulness and gratitude back to him for doing that, for the cross, for his endless forgiveness, for his mercy, for his grace, for his love for you that nobody can take away. We're gonna fill this room with praise. The band's gonna lead us in an opportunity to express praise and gratitude and thanksgiving to the Lord. Hear me, if you find yourself in a space where you're not totally undone by, by the reality and the pleasure of receiving the compassion of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, if, if, there's, if, if you're not a 10 out of 10, Come. There's trusted men and women who want to facilitate an encounter with the living God. It's not about acknowledging whether or not it's true. It's about receiving it and trusting it. That's what biblical faith is. Men and women who can pray for you, men and women who will serve us and, ca- and kick, kick off opportunities to deliver God praise, that's what we're going to do. And then Heracle um, come up and embed it and, and pastor us and close us, okay? I love you guys very much. I want to pray for us and then we'll, we'll go in. Holy Spirit, help. Help us to receive the compassion of Jesus. Not for somebody else in our life right now, for us. If we're going to spread the gospel of Jesus, even, if it, even though it's the most contagious thing there is, because the harvest is abundant, if we're going to spread the gospel, we've got to receive it first. Help us to receive it so that we can spread it. Love you, Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit. Amen.